Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. with you this evening. We've just got a short time in God's word just now. I gifted the boys some of my words and we're going to just spend a bit of time digging in now to that question that we've been thinking about the last five or six weeks. Which Jesus? When you think about Jesus, what do you think? Who do you think about? Who do you think he is? A couple of weeks ago, Aaron brought this um, Tozer quote to us where he said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. We can do nothing better with our Sunday evening than consider Jesus And which Jesus, well, whatever stage of faith you are at, considering Jesus, possibly going to dismiss Jesus or following Jesus, it is vital that this evening it is the real Jesus that you are thinking about. Not one who is a figment or of our imagination, belongs to our history books, but actually the real Jesus. Jesus. So many things and experiences come in and rob us of our understanding of who Jesus really is. My boy is 13 and spent this morning at a remembrance service with his scout group and came home and said, mom, I did not think church could be that boring. What we have done to people's understanding or interest in who Jesus is really grieves me. But even those in the church can struggle, can't they? They've got this picture of Jesus of the Christmas carols, the infant in the manger, the only baby in the history of the world, never to have cried. Really? Really? Or the Jesus of our imagination. You know, the Jesus is my boyfriend. There for me, loves me just the way I am. Always there for me, in my pocket, take him out. Is just who I need him to be. Or maybe we've got this really unhelpful visual picture of Jesus in our head. Those medieval painters that were obsessed with painting old men as little babies. Ugly Jesus. Do you not think he's going to have some hard things to say when some of those painters get to heaven about how they made him look? But the image of that Jesus that is otherworldly, detached and irrelevant, we are not interested in that being the Jesus that you consider this evening. We want to really dig in to who Jesus really is. And so it's in the words of this book that we're going to be able to answer that question as we listen to the accounts of people who really met him, who really listened to him, who watched his life and who grappled with that. And as we've looked through John's gospel these last few weeks, we've encountered Jesus in different situations, revealing different aspects of his character and of who he is. He spoke to us in John 1 about being the words of God. 
in chapter 2 about being the miracle worker. In chapter 3, he declared to Nicodemus that he was the saviour. And in chapter 4, to the woman at the well, that he was the living water. And then last week, we were thinking about how he is the only son of the father. It's this Jesus that we're coming to this evening. And I guess if you've been here for most of those five weeks, you might be thinking by this stage, you're getting a pretty good handle on who Jesus is. You've seen him in most kinds of circumstances and situations. You've listened to some of his teaching and you understand who he is. So if you've got a Bible with me, come with me to chapter 6. We're not going to read it all. I'm I'm aiming to be fairly short this evening because the boys were doing the interview and there's 71 verses in John chapter 6. So we're going for the selected highlights of those. Let me tell you what's happening in John chapter 6. It is exciting times. The crowds are gathering. The authorities are riled. Jesus is making a stir wherever he goes. People are coming in their droves to hear him. They want to know whether he really is the one that they've been hearing about. You know, for centuries, the Jewish people have been waiting for this one who's going to come and release them from all the oppression that they've ever known and bring freedom to them. And they want to know if this Jesus is the one that they've been hearing about. And so chapter 6 kicks off with some of the activity that we're becoming quite familiar with. 5,000 people fed from one small boy's packed lunch. Jesus walking on water out to meet the disciples who are on a boat traveling across the lake. These are sights to behold, spectacles that multi-hits on YouTube would have been in Jesus' favor if people had been able to access them. Everybody wanted to see And you just imagine that when Jesus is doing things like this, he must have had the crowds just where he wanted them, eating out of his hand, desperate for them to know him, imagining that he's bringing them in so that they'll begin to follow him like the 12 disciples that he called in the beginning were learning to do. But you know, Jesus actually isn't terribly interested in the crowd. He's not really bothered how many people have their bum on a seat on a hillside to listen to him. He is interested in the heart of every individual who's part of that crowd. And as Carl talks about being a church Depends what we, uh, you speak to him as if whether it's a thousand people, 800 people, 1200 people. But when you think about those kinds of numbers, and you think, does anybody notice me? Jesus notices the individuals in the midst of the crowd, and it's them that he's concerned about. But no sooner as Jesus whipped up this crowd in John chapter 6 with these miracles, then he begins to teach some really hard things. And in no time at all, the crowds start to dissipate. So turn with me, if you've got a Bible, to John 6 at verse 26. So we're, we're in that last section of the Bible in the New Testament, one of these um, life witness accounts. At verse 26, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me, 
Not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. It seems that Jesus can see things that nobody else can see. He looks at the crowd and he can see the people that are just there for the entertainment. They're just there for the spectacle. And he sees the people whose hearts are really stirring in his presence and want to know more. And he's longing for people to know more. Those that have just come for the food can't all be students. He's saying to them, there's more than this. There are spiritual realities that these miracles are pointing you to that I want you to see. I want you to hunger after me. I want you to know me and come and feed on me, not just on the stuff that I offer you. And he invites them in to know them more. He's saying he has to offer life, eternal life, things that will satisfy them like nothing else ever has. And Jesus goes on to talk at length in John chapter 6 about bread. And I'm not going to read you all of those verses because they're quite dense, but I would love you to read them later. That'd be a great thing to do in the week to come. Let me summarize for you as best I can what Jesus is saying here about bread. So it's Passover time. So people have gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. It is a year from the time where Jesus will be preparing to go to the cross. This time, he's celebrating Passover. And Jesus here is speaking to an audience that's mostly Jewish. And as he begins to speak to them about bread, they'll be remembering the time that they were journeying into the promised land, lots of time in the wilderness, and God himself provided food for them. They would wake up in the morning and all over the ground would be these thin slivers of bread called manna that they were to take and to eat. They couldn't store it. It wouldn't last. God would provide it for them every single day. They didn't need to cling on to it. They were to trust him that by his presence, he would give them everything that they would need. But Jesus is saying... He's not like that bread. You don't have to keep trying, keep coming back. He is a once and for all bread. Come to him and eat and you will be satisfied forever. You will not need something different or something more tomorrow. He will satisfy you like nothing else ever has. The deal is sealed once you choose to follow Jesus. His forgiveness, his grace, his love, his acceptance is a once and for all. The deal is sealed. He's a keeper. And this sounds great, but actually 
it doesn't sound so great to the audience that are listening because he is starting to push some buttons that causes offense that we don't quite understand as we listen in this day. And it's not just a little bit of offense. It's way, way, way controversial stuff that Jesus starts to speak to his audience. Now, I don't know how easily offended you guys are. A little bit of me is tempted to try and see but I don't think tonight's the night to put my job on the line quite like that. So as I was preparing, I was thinking you might be a little bit amused if I did a bit of reminiscing of things that I have done that have offended other people. I thought it would be quite funny. I mentioned to my husband, Stuart, um, thinking, you know, kind of rubbing my hands in anticipation, this will be a bit of a giggle, as I remember times like the number of times I've offended the Northern Irish whenever I married into a Northern Irish family and the number of times. I think I've said to my mother-in-law, sorry, call this a tray bake. When exactly did it go into an oven? Surely this is just biscuits that you bought at the shops, brought home mashed up and made into biscuits. But it turns out I've never actually said that to my mother-in-law, never out loud, just many times in my head. So Stuart had a list of things for me and I started to cringe as he repeated them for me, as I thought about the different times I had said things that offended people. He remembered the time we'd gone to a wedding and uh, everybody else at the table went to this Christian festival every year and they asked me, why had I never been? And for some reason I told them that at the age of 40, I still didn't think I was old enough. There, there, there were the people that... Um, the, the lovely young American couple who'd only just got married and I'd only just met them and we invited them to our house for dinner and I, I said something like, you, d- you didn't have one of those ridiculous American weddings, did you? Where you had more bridesmaids and groomsmen than you could fit into a minibus. Um, yeah, I've never seen them again, ever. Never got in touch after that. Or the person I sent the email to that the email was about rather than for, yeah, done that, uh uh-huh, or or the men who are moustached all year round, but for the next month, I'll give dogs abuse to, you know who you are, Um, yeah, yeah, so many, many things. I'm sure I could have done an open mic this morning and there would have been plenty more to have shared with you. Most of the times I've offended people, it's been by mistake, most of the time. But Jesus here in John chapter 6, it doesn't seem to be an accident. He seems to know exactly what he's saying and exactly how it will be received. He actually aims to offend his audience. The things he claims in this chapter blow the minds of the people that listen. He claims that he's greater than Moses. Now Moses is an absolute legend of as a leader of the Jewish people in their history. He speaks as though he has authority that it can only come from God. Who does he think he is? He talks about the need for people to eat his flesh and drink his blood. 
And we can't begin to get our heads around how offensive that was to this audience. I'm a bit of a food leper. The stuff that I can't eat is fairly long. And yet I know nothing of what it would be like to be these people. The things they can eat, the things they can't eat. How they have to be prepared, where they need to be prepared. What can be eaten with what, when. Legendary. And Jesus says to them, feast on my flesh and drink of my blood. Because do you know to a Jew, there is nothing worse than drinking blood. The language that Jesus is using here is deeply offensive to the people that he's speaking to. Have a look at what it says in Leviticus chapter 17. It says, because, verse 14, because the life of every creature is its blood. That is why I've said to the Israelites, you must not eat the blood of any creature because the life of every creature is its blood. Anyone who eats it must be cut off. Anyone who eats it must be cut off. And Jesus is saying, feast on my flesh and drink my blood. He wants them to know that his physical body is going to be broken for them. His blood is going to be shed for them because he is going to a cross. They are going to have to rely on his sacrifice if they want to know God, not on their rituals, not on their history, not on their credentials, not on how holy they are, not on how they've been able to keep the law, but on the death, the physical death, and the spiritual abandonment of Jesus on the cross. And that is deeply offensive. Independence, self-reliance, DIY attitude. We don't want to be reliant on anybody else, just like this audience didn't want to have to rely on Jesus. Jesus knows that they are going to have to submit to a different authority And it is deeply offensive to them. So how do the crowds respond to Jesus' teaching? Well, let's read this whole section of John 6 together. Come with me to verse 60. It'll be on the screen if you don't have a Bible in front of you. On hearing these things that I've just summarized for you, many of the disciples said, this is hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, have I not chosen you, the twelve? yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who the one of the 12 was later 
to betray him. Even his 12 disciples are saying, this is hard, Jesus, hard. Maybe for some of them, it was hard to understand. Because like I say, some of this stuff is difficult if you don't fully know the culture. But I think they were saying this is hard for us to accept. Do you know, I think there would be some people in the crowd who listened to what Jesus was saying and they just completely got the wrong end of the stick. They heard him talking about flesh and blood and they thought these were images of cannibalism and they just thought, what? Or they heard him say those things about Moses and they figured he just didn't rate Moses. And so they walked before they had ever come to understand what Jesus was saying. But I reckon there were a whole bunch of people here who actually did understand what Jesus was saying. They understood exactly that he was asking them to come and to submit to him, that he was inviting them to come and to be completely dependent upon him, that he was asking them to come and to leave behind all of their own authority the ability to be in charge of everything themselves. Verse 66 says that most of the disciples turned back and no longer followed him. The beginning of John chapter 6, 5,000 people waiting to be fed. The end of chapter 6, barely the 12 are left. And you know, Jesus lets them go. He does not force anybody to follow him. He invites them in. He explains who he is. He tells them of these deep truths. And he invites them to make a decision. And many of them walk away. Do you know when the Old Testament writers predicted Jesus' life and his death, they said that he would be despised and he would be rejected. And that is exactly what's starting to happen here. All of that excitement of Jesus coming, people are starting to hear the truth and they're not liking what they're hearing. Why did Jesus not just make it a whole lot more palatable? Why did he have to say such strong, offensive things? What are the bits of the Bible that you think, oh gosh, if only they weren't there, my mates would find it so much easier to believe in God. Why, Jesus, do you have hard teaching? Do you know, Jesus doesn't want anyone to face eternity without him. But in order to make that happen, he is not going to lower the bar. Our God is a holy God. Our God is a God of justice and of righteousness. And he is not going to lower any bar to let us in any way we want, trusting in anything we want. Jesus is able to say these strong words to everybody that listened because he was going to fulfill them. He was going to be for every law, for every sin, for every hypocrisy. He was going to be the answer. Jesus doesn't need to lower the bar because he's the one that meets the bar and he can still throw the invitation wide for anybody to come and to know him because he makes it possible. 
So whenever I find the words of Jesus hard, and I think, Jesus, why does it seem that you are excluding some people? I remember that this is the very Jesus who says, I know you're not going to meet this. I know you're not going to be good enough. I know you don't have what it takes. And I, I have made a way. I have made it possible. Come to me and trust in me. Do you know, for some of us tonight, as we think about what it is to belong to this family, that's not such a difficult question. We like being here. We've maybe even got involved in a community. It feels like home. And do you know, whatever you think about Jesus, there will always be a home for you here. Wherever you are on a journey of faith, you will always be welcome in this family. But as you figure out whether or not you want to be all in next week, it's not just whether you want to be part of this community. It's what do you think about Jesus? All of Jesus, not just the nice bits that you would pick and choose. Because Jesus doesn't ask us to walk with an idea of what we want him to be like. He asks us to walk with him in the reality of who he is. The bits that we love and the bits that we don't find so easy. The healing, whole, loving, helping Jesus and the strong, hard-talking, no-messing Jesus. They're the same Jesus and he invites us to walk with him. So he asks us to learn to trust him when we don't understand what he's doing or why he's doing it. He asks us to learn to submit to him, to relinquish the right to be boss over everything for ourselves and to trust in him. He asks us to learn to love his word, not just the bits we like, but all of it, all of it, because Jesus is the word. But you know, I do often feel quite like Simon Peter. Questions and doubts come in Life is hard. And like Peter, I think, where else am I going to go? If I don't come to Jesus, where else am I going to go? Only Jesus. Only Jesus can be the answer. I can't be the answer. I can't be the answer for myself to figure things out. I make far too many mistakes. I am not capable of sorting out my own relationships with everybody else, never mind my relationship with God. I can't fix it. I can't put my hope in relationships. I can't guarantee that any one person is going to walk with me all the days of my life until they are done, being faithful with me, being ever present with me and being to me everything that I need them to be. I can't put my hope in relationships. I can't put my trust in what I would like to be true for this world and the next. I can't take my ideology and put all my faith in that, hoping that the things that I want to be true will be true. Because something can't be true just because I want it to be true. I can't trust in my worldview if it's one that I've dreamt up with myself. And I can't put my trust in my success or my acquisitions 
because I could lose them like that. In an instant, they could be gone and I can't take them with me. Where else are we going to go? Only Jesus hold the words of eternal life. Only Jesus. Where else could we go with our sin, with our need, with our pride? Where else can we go with our hopes, with our dreams, with everything of who we are? We come to Jesus, the one who invites us to follow, the one who makes it possible for us to know him. He doesn't make us, but he invites us. We are so, so welcome. Every one of us. Do you know as he speaks to the 12, they were still going to stuff up. One of them was still going to betray him. But Jesus says, are you going to follow? Are you going to stay with me when everybody else has left? Are you going to walk with me? So in the time that we've got left this evening, we're going to linger with Jesus. We're going to choose to stay with him. And we're going to declare, those of us who want to, that we're staying with him. We're not going to get busy and active, at least not straight away. We're going to say to Jesus that we're staying. So we're going to stay with him and we're going to give him our questions. We're going to stay with him and we're going to give him our mistakes, our mess. We're going to stay with him and we're going to give him our hopes and our dreams and our aspirations. So I wonder if that's something that you would like to do tonight. If you would stand with me and say, Jesus, I'm staying. Anybody else can go, but I am staying. And we're just going to stand. The band are going to come and lead us. And we'll declare those things out ourselves to a God. And then there'll be time the prayer ministry team will come and there'll be opportunity to ask people to come and pray for the very real situations that you find hard. The things that make it difficult for you to follow Jesus. The things that have made you come this evening questioning whether you really do want to stay. The prayer ministry team in about five minutes will be over there and they'll come and do that for you. But just now, if you're saying tonight, I want to stay, Jesus, no matter how hard it is, would you stand with me? And I'm just going to pray very quickly and then leave you with a bit of space to choose to declare to Jesus that you're staying and to give him the things that you need to give him because this is hard but you want to follow. So let's pray. So Jesus, we thank you so much for your words to us. We thank you, Jesus, that your truth, that you don't tell lies, that you invite us in to know you. And we say, Jesus, as we stand here, we want to know you. We thank you, Jesus, that you invite us to follow you. And we say tonight, Jesus, that we want to follow. But Lord, you know, like the disciples, we find some of these things hard. And so we ask Jesus that you would accept tonight all of who we are with our questions, with our mistakes, with our doubts, with our hopes and our dreams. And we give them to you, Jesus, because we say there is nowhere else that we can go.
So Jesus, we bring to you all of who we are.